Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. So our new series we're starting today, it's called Now, and we're going to be exploring the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. And it's written to a young church, uh, in fact, a church that Paul had never been to. And it's a young church full of new believers who are just learning what it is to follow Jesus. And they're also coming under pressure. They're coming under pressure to fall away as well. And uh, Paul encouraged them in this letter to fully explore what it is to know Jesus and what it is to live accordingly. And with all things in the Bible, we need to remember that this letter was written to a certain people group at a certain time, at a certain place. Sometimes when we come to the Bible, we think it's just a random collection of Christian thoughts that are helpful. But actually, this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, written to a church of believers and written specifically for them at a certain time. And as we explore that, we'll see what God was saying to those people at that time, but also what can he say to us now through this letter? Why do these things need to be written And what can they say to us now as we explore it? And even though we're going to be going through this letter over the next six weeks, we're going to chop it into six sections, uh, I'd like to encourage you to try and take time to read the letter as a whole. Because when Paul wrote these letters, he intended them to be written, uh, sorry, read as a whole. They weren't read, designed to be read in churches like today. Paul would have no concept probably of his letter being chopped into verses and chapters. He would imagine his letter would have been read as a whole. And so I encourage you, if you have time, during the next few weeks, I'm sure you can make some time, is to go away and read this letter. It's only four chapters long. It's one of Paul's shortest letters, but it's full and packed full of exciting writing that Paul puts in there. And as you read it, you might see that it's like a flower that unfolds. There's themes that get told and revisited and explored in a deeper way, and hopefully you'll see these themes as we go through this book over the next six weeks. So if you have a chance, sit down, with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and read Colossians from the start right through to the end. I can see a few things. Oh my goodness, that's a lot. It's not that many words, you'll be fine. <laughs> We've called this series now because the whole emphasis of Paul's writing is that we're to live as if Jesus' full creation and restoration has happened. We're to live now in the present, in our daily lives, day by day, as if all the things that Jesus talked about and promised actually are true and have come to pass. And so Paul writes this letter to say if you know Jesus and you follow him, then it should radically affect the way you live and the way you relate. Paul had never met these believers in, in Colossae, but he'd heard about them from Epaphras, a friend of his who come to visit him in prison, and he updates Paul on this young church and what's happening with them and the pressures they're facing. And so Paul pours his heart into this letter to encourage them uh, to stay, stay strong and to explore the fullness of the gospel. And so I want to pray as we start today, this new series, that we'll be inspired by Paul's writings, that we'll be inspired to live fuller lives in Christ, that we'll be inspired to live in the now as if Jesus really did mean what he said and what Jesus said was going to happen really is going to happen. So let's uh, open our hearts to all that God wants to do in our own lives for the next few weeks, yeah? So, Jesus, we thank you for this writing. We thank you that it's been preserved for us, God. We thank you that Paul sat down, inspired by your spirit, and you breathed through him life to this church in Colossae all these years ago. 
And God, we pray as we look into these words, God, as we, as we uh, take them into ourselves, God, you would build us up and you would nurture us. And it would be as if Paul was writing to us today to encourage us and to inspire us to live fully, uh, fully in step with Jesus, living in the now, in the present, for the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So let's begin by looking uh, from chapter 1, and then we'll get some words on the screen for you so you can follow along. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and the love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing amongst you since the days you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learn it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, Paul knows all about the imperfections of the people in Colossae, but he addresses them like this. He says, God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I don't know what you think about yourself this morning. Most people have fairly poor self-image, so I don't know what you're thinking about yourself this morning. But if you're trying to follow Jesus, you are God's holy, faithful people. And I can see that conviction dawning on you this morning as I look out. You are God's holy, faithful people. You might not feel particularly holy. You may not feel particularly faithful. But if Paul was going to write this letter to you this morning and address this letter to the church here at Riverside, he would address us as God's holy people, the faithful brothers and sisters in Whitstable and the coastlands. That's who you are in Christ. That's the identity that has been bequeathed upon you through Jesus. And Paul tells the people in Colossae that they're both spiritually and geographically located. They are in Colossae and they are in Christ. Colossae is now in modern-day Turkey. That's where these people were, but they were geographically there, but they were spiritually in Christ. And so we are in Whitstable and the surrounding coast and area, and we are in Christ. And this is a really important thing to be aware of as a believer, because you're not floating around in God. God has located you in a geography, in a place, in a community. And as followers of Jesus, we're always located somewhere. I once heard someone said to someone, you're so spiritual, you have no earthly good. Your head's in the clouds, your feet should be on the earth. And we... When we're true followers of Christ, we are actually spiritually located and geographically located. I've got a tongue twister for you. God puts people in places for a purpose. Try it. God puts people in places for a purpose. Take the person next to you. God puts people in places for a purpose. One more time. God puts people in places for a purpose. It's a tongue twister, but it's true. God puts people in places for kingdom purposes. So God is always in the business of linking people and places. And I'm fascinated often about the chemistry that occurs when God's put certain people in certain places. 
And as followers of Jesus, you don't live, and I don't live, in isolation from the communities that God has placed us in. We don't sort of, you know, go into our homes, shut our doors, and sort of hide behind our walls, thinking that's our Christian remit. God has put you where you are to be salt and light to the community around you. You are in Jesus, and you are in your neighborhood. It's no accident, I think, where you live or where God has placed you. And so whenever someone comes to me and says, I'm thinking of moving house, I'm saying, have you talked to Jesus about it? Because he's really interested on where you get to be placed. I've found people who've just pursued this sort of chocolate box image of a cottage with roses around the door and gone there thinking that'll be happiness and that'll be peace. But actually, without inquiring of the Lord in that process, then we don't get that connection of God putting us in places. So you have a key part to play. Wherever God has placed you, you have a key part to play in your community. You're in Christ and you're in your street. You're in your neighborhood. And you're there to serve as a witness to that community. You're there to show people what it looks like when Jesus comes on the earth. And now you're all looking really worried. You're a living, breathing expression of Jesus (coughs) to the people around you. The way you live, the way you work, the way you act, the way you relate, the way you steward your stuff, the way you serve people, the way you talk to people. It's all a model of what it looks like when Jesus comes to the earth. And that's why lots of people don't tell their neighbours they're Christians. <laughs> I never wanted to put one of those stickers on the back of my car, the fish. I thought, that's, that's never going to work. <laughs> because often we, you know, we're, we're slightly embarrassed. Not necessarily about the word Christian, but you know, are we living in a way that shows that Jesus come in our lives? Sometimes the church has done people a disservice by focusing on the personal nature of faith. You personally come to Christ. Christ personally sorts out your sins and fixes you up. God personally forgives you. You personally walk with him and you personally get to spend eternity with him. The problem with that, that's a very reductionist message compared to the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed and talked about. The message of Jesus was there's a kingdom coming and it's transforming everything. It's affecting everything and you get to be swept up and be part of it. And it's a much bigger narrative than just a personal, insular, private faith. Paul sums up part of this vision in this letter in chapter 2. He says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. So Jesus comes and touches us and he affects every aspect of our lives, not just our private inner ones, he affects all the outward-facing parts of our life as well. But if all you've ever been taught is a personal, private faith, then you, that's all you've ever experienced, all you thought about. Faith is always inward, not to be talked about, not to be expressed. And I think this can create a sort of a Sunday separation, can't it? Where we want sort of person on a Sunday, and then for the rest of the week, we live a different life. And the two never meet, the two are never integrated. Paul challenges us through this letter, all these years later, that if we accept Christ into our lives, we follow Jesus, then it should radically affect every part of what we do. The rest of our lives should be lived in him and through him. And he writes to the Colossians with one big desire, He wants them to know Jesus fully and to grow in that knowledge and grow 
immaturity. So as we start out today, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, I want you to think about what it would look like for your life to be more integrated. Maybe your Sunday life and your work life to become more integrated. So Jesus is expressed through every aspect of who you are. I want to try and paint a bigger vision for that as we go through the next few weeks. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, hopefully the bigger picture that we paint will be a picture that attracts you and draws you closer to the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, back to the letter then. So after his initial greetings, Paul talks about three things. He talks about faith, hope, and love. Whenever Jesus is at work in someone's life, you'll find these three things are present. Faith, hope, and love. And Paul refers to these things over and over again in his letters. If you read Paul's letters to the churches, you'll find faith, hope, and love a recurring theme over and over again. And these aren't just nice words that we hear at a wedding, are they? These words have got meat on them, and Paul really believes that qualities that exist in the life of a believer. Faith is not abstract. Faith is in Christ Jesus. Love is for all God's people. And we touched into this last week, because I think, again, this has maybe been communicated wrongly. This isn't about just you liking people like you. Nice Sunday Christians that you can get along with. When Paul says this, this is a massive vision for all things and all people being reconciled together in God. God doesn't create followers of Jesus using a cookie cutter, so we all come out the same. I think, again, sometimes we've been convinced that's what we should be. We should all be exactly the same if we're Christians. That's never going to happen, because you are uniquely and wonderfully made. So when Paul says a love for all God's people... It's a powerful demonstration of the unity and reconciliation that is happening through churches. God is bringing all sorts of different kinds of people together and uniting them in Christ. And this is really important for us at the moment, isn't it? As we talked about last week, we talked about yielded consensus. Holding together as a group around Christ as we go forward, being a fully affirming church. Faith, hope and stored up in heaven for you. Hope is not just about being hopeful. Okay, when Paul talks about hope, he's not just saying just try and be hopeful. He's actually talking about a hope that's anchored somewhere. In fact, all these things are anchored somewhere. Faith is anchored in Jesus. Hope is anchored in the future, a future truth, a future hope, a future promise of all things coming together in God. And love is anchored in people. These things have a direction have a face. And I find this really helpful because when I think about love, I think about how is my love being demonstrated towards the people around me. When I think about faith, I'm thinking about where is my faith really anchored, really located. And when I think about my hope, you know, what am I placing my hope in? And so it's, Paul is saying for these aspects in our lives, they've got a direction, they've got an anchor. So have a think about those things for a moment in your life. Where is your faith and love and hope directed? Where is it anchored this morning? Paul then speaks of the fruitfulness of the gospel. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole earth. God is doing what God intends. He's sowing the gospel into people's hearts, in people's lives. It's growing and bearing fruit. 
Paul has no concept of the whole world at this point in time. You have to understand that. He couldn't go onto Google Earth and see the whole Earth. He had no concept of some of the people groups the gospel would eventually reach. But he's speaking aspirationally through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's, be- he- he's convinced the gospel will go to the whole Earth, reach all people. And what I like about this phrase later on is that Paul says, you hear, you hear the gospel and you truly understand God's grace. If we receive the gospel, we have to receive it in our hearts and our heads. There has to be an understanding that goes with following Jesus. For it to really take root in us, it has to land in our hearts and our heads. And as I said before, touch every aspect of our lives. God loves you unconditionally because of Jesus. It's a gospel of grace. And to understand this is really, really important. Because we come to God with so many hang-ups, don't we? We come with so much guilt. We come to God with all these things and we believe God will only love us if we do certain things or act in certain ways or become certain kinds of people. But actually Paul says, if you truly understand the gospel, it's a gospel of grace. God loves you unconditionally. And he talks later on about, Epaphras has told him about their love in the spirit. They're a community of love. They're a community of grace. And when we understand God's grace and God's love, then we can become truly communities of God's grace and love. If we don't get that, churches can be really difficult places to be because we judge each other, don't we? We make judgments about each other. But if we truly understand the gospel is a gospel of grace, then we build communities of grace, we build communities of love. And that's what Paul has heard about in this young church in Colossae. And this is something only God can create. God creates this by his spirit. He doesn't, we can't just create it by gritting our teeth and trying to be nice to each other. God creates it by his spirit. And so it's on each of us to really get an understanding of God's grace. Because the grace that we receive is the grace that can then flow out of us towards other people. And it's not just based on affection or tolerance. It's based on a real understanding of the love of God. And I believe we, we have that at Riverside. It's growing in our midst. We had a couple of um, guys come to look at our PA last week, the last bit of the flood restoration. And uh, they stood over there, and I came in to see them. I handed them a couple of drinks, and they said, there's something really warm about this place, isn't there? I said, yeah, there is. I said, there is. I said, that's our culture. I said, we work really hard on that to try and get that culture. And it kind of lingers. Even when this room's empty, it kind of lingers. And he said, yeah. He said, we go all over the country, putting PA into different churches. And he said, some of them are cold, physically and emotionally. Uh, some of them, people don't even say hello to us. He said, but we came in here, and there's something about this place. There's a warmth of culture. And I said, I said, yeah, there is. We work really hard at that. But it was lovely to have some objective feedback from two guys who are traveling all over the country. And I thought, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We want to be a community of grace. We want to be a community of warmth and welcome. We want the sense of the Lord to linger when people come in to our midst. It's the love in the spirit that's been talked about here. There's a love in the spirit which goes beyond something that we can generate or we can manufacture. But again, it's on all of us to partner with that. We create that together as a whole. We create that together. 
And so, again, as we go through this letter, think about that grace of God that God has poured out into your life through the gospel. Revisit that, the beauty of that. Paul then moves into prayer. Big, lots of words on the screen. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may have a, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Paul needs to use more full stops. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul starts his prayer with, for this reason. Paul had already seen good things. We'd heard about good things happening in, in the life of the believers in Colossae. And because of this, he's confident that God's going to carry on and God's going to continue. And so he prays faithfully for the future of these believers. And reflecting on what God has done in our lives in the past really helps us have faith for the future. If any of you take time to journal or reflect or think about the way God moves in your life, it's really powerful to look back and use that as a springboard for the future. God is a God who brings things to completion. God doesn't quit on us halfway through thinking, well, you're too difficult a project. I'm going to abandon that and move on to something else. He, he brings things through to completion. Paul writes in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't abandon us mid-project. Remembering and reflecting on what God has done in your life is a really helpful way to think about what God will continue to do into the future. And it will put faith into your prayers. It will supercharge them and encourage you. God is active and alive and working in your life. And that doesn't stop. It's from birth right the way through. God's working. And Paul talks about a knowledge of wisdom and understanding. He's talking about you see, what, what Paul is trying to do is to produce maturity and growth in these believers. And Paul isn't praying for some sort of spooky insight. He's praying for a very practical, on-the-ground application of wisdom and knowledge into the life of the believer. And you can say the whole purpose of the Bible is to help us grow in wisdom, to grow in spirituality. And that's a very practical thing, applied to our life. It translates into practical living, as Paul says, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Spirituality always has an outlet. It always works out into the way we do things. You know, anything that just sits in your head spiritually isn't helpful. It has to work out into the way you live your life and the way you relate to other people. So Paul never separates spiritual life from practical life. He's always trying to pull these two things together. And this little section here is a beautiful little miniature picture of what Christian life should be. We continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That's your little spiritual mandate as a follower of Christ. 
And it's not a circular thing, it's an upward spiral that Paul is trying to picture here. We grow in God as we apply what we know of God. We grow in God as we apply what we know of God. Knowing God is not just an intellectual exercise, it's an activity. And we grow in God as we apply what God has shown us about himself. The way you live your life, the way I live my life, is an act of devotion to God. And this is what Paul is saying here. That he's painting this spiral of growth as we, God continually fills us with knowledge of who he is. And as we apply that knowledge and we bear good fruit and we live a life worthy, God reveals more of himself to us. And on and on we grow. The remainder of Paul's prayer explains the power behind this has enabled this young church to grow. You're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You might have great endurance and great patience. God gives you and gives me the power to endure, to endure difficult things, troublesome things in life that we have to experience. These are the weapons that God equips every believer with, the weapons that believers are fighting within Ukraine right now. In fact, every persecuted part of the church across the world, believers are able to endure with great patience because they're strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith, hope and love come together to produce an enduring spirit in the life of the believer. And this deep down is the fruit of a conviction that somehow God is still at work. Somehow, despite what's going on, there's a belief that God is still enduring. God is at work. God is bringing about his purposes upon the earth. You could say that God gives us endurance for impossible situations and patience for impossible people. And you can all think about who that might relate to. (laughs) Endurance for impossible situations and patience for impossible people. Paul finishes his section with thanksgiving. This beautiful section. Joyful thanks to the Father. He's rescued you. We talked about this over the past few weeks. He's rescued you from a dominion of darkness and brought you into a kingdom of light. He gives thanks that God has come and rescued these Colossians and brought them by the gospel into a kingdom of light. And the imagery is, is of one of being purchased from a slave market, redeemed from slavery and brought into freedom. And for the Jewish readers who, who heard this letter and read this letter, the echoes of the liberation of the people, the Israelites from Egypt, they'd have that in the back of their minds. They're thinking about this imagery of being released from darkness into light. And for us, we can reflect on the fact that we follow a king called Jesus who has delivered us and rescued us. I don't know what your dominion of darkness used to look like, but I'm glad I'm not there anymore. I'm glad God has brought me into a kingdom of light. He's brought you from slavery into a loving family. He forgives your wrongdoing, your sins. He liberates you and sets you free. And he adopts you into a family of unconditional love. The next six verses in this letter are considered to be one of the most important sections in the whole New Testament describing the person of Jesus. I'm going to let the wonderful guys over at the Bible Project explain it to you. 
And then Paul has placed a poem here to help the Colossians and us do exactly that. It's the centerpiece of chapter 1, a poem all about the crucified and exalted Messiah. It has two parallel stanzas, and it's crammed with language and imagery from the books of Genesis and Exodus, from the Psalms and the Proverbs. The first stanza explores how Jesus is the true image of God. In him, the full character and purpose of God is embodied in a human. He's the firstborn, an Old Testament phrase about Jesus' royal status over all creation. He shares in the very identity of the one true creator God. And by him, all reality, all powers and authorities, spiritual and human, have been created. It's in Jesus the Messiah that we discover the very author and king of creation. And so in the second stanza, we discover he's also the one bringing about a new creation. He's the head of a new body, which refers to Jesus' people, who are the new humanity, of which his own resurrection existence is a prototype. In him, God's glorious temple presence dwells, and so it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that God has reconciled himself to humanity, to all spiritual powers, to all of creation. It's a remarkable poem, and Paul will keep referring back to it as he goes on in the letter. This poem is amazing, and I'm sure for some of you it might be a favorite part of Scripture you've come back to again and again. But why did Paul write it to the Colossians? It's an interesting thing. Why did he write this to the Colossians? Well, it seems they were struggling against rival gods of paganism that were putting pressure on them in Colossae. And so he sits down to write something that says this is Jesus. He's in a different league. He's in a different league to the pagan deities that you're surrounded by. He is head and shoulders and then some above every other deity that you could experience who's putting pressure on you. Christ reigns supreme over everything. And not only that, he's given himself to the world in this, in this loving self-sacrifice to create a new humanity with the intention of bringing the entire universe back into harmony, back into order. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. He's the complete image of God and of humanity. And he's reconciling all things to himself. And so when you receive Jesus, you don't receive this tiny little personal private faith. You get signed up to this. This huge mandate of what Jesus is doing across the whole universe. You get subscripted into this story. You get, this is what the Christian story is all about. It's not about you privately going to heaven with God. It's about you being drafted into this incredible narrative of the kingdom coming. Your life and my life has become part of the restoration of all things. If you're a follower of Jesus, right here, right now, you are part of this incredible poem, this incredible story. As Jesus' life is expressed through you, you become part of this extraordinary, extraordinary story. And I want to encourage you, maybe as we go through this series, maybe take time to come back to this and read it for yourself and reflect on it and think about how you are now part of this extraordinary vision of all things coming together in Christ. Imagine yourself as part of the reconciliation of all things and then go out and try and live that way.
Try and live as if you were part of this poem. Try and live as if you were part of the reconciliation of all things. Okay, we're coming to land now in the last few verses. Paul says this, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So Paul explains that our thoughts and our actions have corrupted us. We, we use the term sin uh, in the Bible. We've described it before. It means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. We've missed God's best for our life. And that wrong thinking has led to wrong actions and wrong behavior and hostility towards a loving God. But Jesus deals with this. Jesus deals with the issue of sin and alienation. And he does it because he fully represents God and he fully represents us. Fully God, fully human. So in Jesus, God fully identifies with the sins of humanity. And the cross is the meeting place of a holy God and human sin, where Jesus deals with it once and for all. And so now through Jesus' death, you are without blemish, free from accusation. Say that to yourself this morning, I'm free from accusation. Say the little voice in your head, I'm free from accusation. I'm free from accusation because of what Christ has done for me. There's a caveat here. Paul says, if you continue in your faith, the hope holds good if we hold on to it. That's what Paul is saying. The hope holds good if we hold on to it, if we, if we partner with it. There's all sorts of theological machinations around, can you lose your salvation? I've got no idea. But what I do know is Paul says, if we're really established in faith, we'll continue in faith. If we're really in Christ, we'll continue in Christ. Yes, we'll have ups and downs and backwards and forwards and ebbs and flows, but our direction will be in Christ. It will be towards Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. The true Christian faith you know, starts in Christ and continues in Christ, and we're brought to completion in Christ. And our faith is just played out in the steadfast, day-to-day, patience, endurance of putting one step in front of the other in Jesus. So what Paul says, if we're going to continue in Christ, it goes beyond just believing. It's actually how we live out, how we act, how we continue, how we hold on to the hope of the gospel. So the whole essence of this letter and where we started today is to live your life as if it were true. (laughs) To live your life as if Jesus really was reconciling all things. To live your life in the now as if all the stuff we've read about and Paul talks about actually is true and will come to pass. The fullness of that amazing poem that you're now part of. That's the lens through which you can live your life. Paul makes this extraordinary statement to finish off. This gospel you've heard has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Now, Paul knows perfectly well when he wrote this letter, the gospel hadn't gone to every creature under heaven. In fact, Paul doesn't even know every creature under heaven when he writes this. So is he lying? No, he's not. N.T. Wright puts it this way. From Wales to waterfalls, I love that phrase, from Wales to waterfalls, the whole created order has in principle 
been reconciled to God. So what Paul is saying is, again, he knows the fullness of Christ will reach every part of creation, from Wales to waterfalls and everything in between. Paul's inspired again by the Spirit to describe the business of Jesus reconciling all things in heaven and earth to himself. Every creature, every part of creation is being drawn back to the love of Jesus. And I love watching science and nature programs for this lens. It doesn't worry me whatever they discover. Because I know whatever they discover, it's being reconciled to Christ. So just more and more stuff has been reconciled. The more they discover, the more it's been reconciled. And I love it. I love watching science and nature programs through that lens, that Jesus is through it all and over it all and in it all. And he's not threatened by any of it because it's all his. So when they put the James Webb telescope up on Christmas Day and he can look into the depths of the universe, they'll see stuff that's been reconciled to Christ. Amen? I find it very exciting. You may not. That might not be your bag. <laughs> so now, we've called it now, and we're trying to inspire each other to live in the now. So this week, what it looked like for you to take some of these truths and apply them to your life. So it changes the way you live. It changes the expectation you have. Maybe it changes the way you relate, the way you act, what you do. We've covered a lot of ground this morning, but hopefully you see the themes that are emerging in this book, this letter. Imagine being the first recipient of this letter. Imagine this arriving on your doormat and you sat down to read it. Wow. You'd have thought, this is quite a letter. It didn't start out as a book in the Bible. It started out as a letter to a group of people written to encourage them. Paul's in prison. What could he do? He could pour his heart and spirit into a letter. Everything he knows, everything he wants them to know about Jesus, he pours into these pages and get carried to this young church in Colossae. And they'd have opened it and been inspired by it and been fed by it. And that's how we should receive these things today. They aren't dry and dusty things that just sit in books. They're, this is Paul pouring his life on behalf of other people. And we, we get those echoes today, don't we? We get that sense of Paul. He's in prison. He can't physically go to them. He can't physically minister to them. But he can pour his heart and spirit into a letter. And thank that letter's been kept for us today, that we too can receive that wisdom and that, that just encouragement. So just maybe sit down this week and, and read Colossians and just imagine that letter being written to you. You're in an outpost church, a fledgling church, a new group of believers. You sit down and you receive that letter and you, you get the encouragement through it. Paul poured into these few short pages everything he thought this church needed to know to grow and be in Christ. He wanted them to live fully in the now. And that's what we're encouraged to do today. So let's... Stand together if you're able. Let's just spend a few minutes just reflecting. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.